I just want to continue where I stopped a couple of Wednesdays ago. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 18 through 21 in the Amplified. Thanks, Pastor IBK. Those announcements were important. Thanks for making them real and bringing them alive in full color. And thank you for not selling anything today. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 15. And so today I'm going to start on what I call the new covenant way of prayer. The new covenant way of prayer. In Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 18 in the Amplified, Jeremiah says this, why is my pain perpetual? And my wound incurable? Refusing to be healed. Will you indeed be to me like a deceitful brook? You know what this deceitful brook is? A brook, something you see afar of, looks like a brook. You anticipate that when you get there, you're going to find water. But when you arrive, the brook is dried. So it has the appearance of something that's refreshing, but when you get there, no refreshment. Deceitful brook. Will you indeed be to me like a deceitful brook? Like waters that fail and are uncertain? Read on. Verse 19. Therefore says the Lord to Jeremiah, if you return and give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety. Now, before I go on, let, let, me just, let me just address certain key words as we read the scripture. Notice what God says there. I will give you what? Again. That word again is a very critical word in that verse. I cannot give you something again if I had not given it before. Yeah. Yeah. So God says, if you, Jeremiah, or Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, if you just return, and give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair. Then I will give you again a certain place of quiet and safety, and you will be my minister. And if you separate the precious from the vow, what is that? Cleansing your own, go ahead. Cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicious concerning God's faithfulness. This is the question God is talking about here. From the precious and the vile. Cleansing our heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness. What, what are those suspicions? We wonder, does God love me? What are those suspicions? We wonder, does God care about me? What are those suspicions? We wonder, will God deliver me? What are those suspicions? We wonder, can God heal me? What are those suspicions? We wonder, will God prosper me? What are those suspicions? We wonder, will God allow the enemy to destroy me? On and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Suspicions of what? 
suspicions of God's faithfulness. God, I am not sure that you truly mean what you said concerning me. God, I'm struggling with understanding or receiving the fact that you care about me. God, especially after what we saw on her last Sunday, I'm not sure you can keep my children. I'm not sure, God, that my children will survive this onslaught of the enemy. Are you really there to watch over them and keep them? Cleansing of our heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness. God said, when you separate the precious from the vile, then you shall be my mouthpiece. But do not you to them, let them return to you, not to the people. Give me verse 20. And I will make you to these people a fortified bronze wall. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save and to deliver you, says the Lord. I almost can say I'm ready to just close it up and just go. Just based on these few verses. Jeremiah finds himself in a dark place. And if you've been around here, over the last 30 days, 35 days, or two months, you can, tell, you can say that we've had our own portion. Jeremiah finds himself in a dark, dark place. A place of depression, a place of disappointment, a place where he thought, man, where is this God you speak about? Now mind you, Jeremiah was a prophet. A servant of God, a mouthpiece for God. And yet, at some point in his career, at some point in his life, at some point in his work with God, he came to a place of darkness where he had no answers. He sought for God, and seemingly, God was far away from him. And so he was pained, he was in depression. It was in disappointment, as many of us now, right now, are. We, shouldn't try to come up, we should not try to camouflage it or window dress it. Tough things happened. Amen. Yeah. And tough things are yet happening. The important thing here is, we should hear what, number one, we should acknowledge where Jeremiah was, what was going on in his life, as what is going on in our lives now. But secondly, and we should really hold on to this strongly, God's response back to him. Give me verse 19 again. Thank you. 
Therefore says the Lord to Jeremiah, this is God's answer to Jeremiah's disappointment. To my disappointment, to your disappointment. This is God's answer to Jeremiah's depression. My depression, your depression. God's answer to him in a hard place. If you return, Jerry, and give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair. Bank, if you return and give up this tone, what tone? Ah, I'm not sure about what God is saying. Does God really care? Does he love me? Ah, he loves Pastor Charles, but me, I'm not sure. Tone of distrust. Tone of despair. And then I will give you again. In other words, you had it. But the distrust and the despair that set in has allowed you to lose it. But if you are willing to give those things up, I'll bring restoration again. A set a place of quiet and safety, and you'll be my minister. So now, the last time I ministered here in the youth sanctuary on a Wednesday night, I said to those who were there, that we will not give a knee-jerk reaction to everything that was happening around us. What do I mean by that? There is a tendency that when something happens, we immediately go into a default mode and just do something else to counter that. Knee-jerk reaction. Because something has happened, we just immediately do something else to counter that. Sometimes it could be God. Other times it's just our flesh reacting, not responding. So I gave a scripture in Matthew chapter 21, verse 21. We can go there. Matthew 21, 21. Pierre, this is your clock. Is it, is it well? <laughs> I'm just asking. Just, so there will be no implosion. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, Matthew 21. Uh, and Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith, a firm, relying trust, and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will be done. Now, there's no deep revelation on this scripture, but one point I want to bring out. One point. Jesus said, if you have faith and you do not doubt, you will not only do what's been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to a mountain, you guys didn't catch it. Did he say even what if you say to a mountain? No. 
No, no. But even if he said to this mountain, huge. If because of what happened to us, we started a program, a policy, or some kind of new thing that we're doing, we'll be sent to a mountain. But as a result of taking the time and ponder and reflecting and hearing God, and God now says, this is what I want you to do, you'll be speaking to this mountain. I'm not sure you got the difference. You can speak to a mountain. Or you can speak to this mountain. When you're speaking to a mountain, you are taking a shotgun approach. You're just firing at everything around you. Because you feel you need to respond, so you get a gun, you start responding. But when you speak to this mountain, there's laser focus. Jesus did not say that if you speak to a mountain, he made it abundantly, absolutely clear, two or three other scriptures that say the same thing, that if you speak to this mountain. So the issue is, which mountain should we be speaking to? As regards and pertains to us in this house, in this season, which mountain should we be speaking to? It's very important. We need to be able to answer that question. Because if you don't answer that question, you find out, you, you find out what happened with Jeremiah in his day. You read it in a blog. You read it in an email, Facebook, Instagram, and you begin to respond because you read something that somebody else did. You follow what I'm saying? Very, very important that we take the time to sit, to reflect on God's love concerning us, yeah. and say, Father, what are we supposed to be doing in this matter, in this situation? What are we supposed to be teaching? What are we supposed to be praying? What action are you asking us to be engaged in, in the season that we're in. Because if you don't understand that, Amen. you hear John Doe is doing this, Jane Sally is doing that, yes. and therefore you are running in between and wondering why you get no result. Because you are doing something that God didn't ask you to do. Amen. The word is very specific. You will speak to this mountain and it will be taken up and cast it at sea. And so that, that's God's instruction. Okay, good. We've established some foundation. So now I said that at the beginning I want to teach on a new covenant way of prayer. And this is going to take a while. I'm not going to finish this today. I will not finish this on Wednesday. Oh, by the way, I want to encourage you, as many of you as possible, don't become complacent and lazy. Don't be so. We'll cook the meal, but I can't put it in your mouth. We'll cook the meal, but it's going to be up to you to eat it. Yes. I can't do that for you. Jesus will not do that for you. 
Wednesday night is just one hour. Because of some of your, some of your complaints, uh, well, children have homework, really? Are there three kids? Are there three kids? So we come up with all these fanciful reasons for which we cannot apply ourselves, and then we wonder when we come short, what happened? Yes, I'm aware of internet. Yes, I'm aware of social media, streaming. I'm aware of all of those things. So is God. Absolutely. Actually, give it to me in NLT, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. Give it to me in the New Living Translation. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, in the New Living Translation. We are talking about the New Covenant way of prayer. Thank you. NLT, New Living Translation. There you go. This is what it says. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. Verse 17. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. Hold it right there. This is the reason all the scriptures from Genesis up to the cross is not the new covenant. Wow. Only salvation got that one. Oh, now, the rest of you guys, did you go to a party last night where you danced too hard and you're tired? into effect only after the person's death. So could Jesus' will have gone into effect while he was alive? Absolutely not. Let's, let me even back up. Let me go back to verse 16. Let me, let me back up. Verse 16. Back 16. Watch this. Now when someone leaves a will, whoa, Pastor Charles, let's stop right there. What's the purpose of leaving a will? If I, God forbid, if I lived as a pauper, I have nothing to transfer, do I need a will? No. Yes. Thank you very much. Now, when someone leaves a will, first of all, that should trigger something in you. A will is an official legal document of transfer. Transfer of estate, transfer of property, transfer of wealth. You will not find, and I don't mean to say this in a way to degenerate these people, but you will not find people who are struggling, who, lives on, who live on the streets, who, who have nothing. They don't live any wheels. They live burdens. They live burdens. I was in a meeting with Pastor Dollar last week, Monday and Tuesday. And one of the pastors that was there asked the question. And the question was, Pastor, what can we do to help our congregation understand that everybody needs a life insurance? Life insurance. By the way, if you're hearing me, you need to get life insurance. Yeah. Say life insurance. Life insurance. Say life insurance. Life insurance. Life insurance. Life insurance. Life insurance. Life insurance. 
male or female, you need to get life insurance. This pastor's concern was, people are going to heaven in the congregation, they have no will, they have no insurance, and the church is left with a burden. So they said, how can I motivate my people to get life insurance? And so for all of you, some of you looking at me very quizzically. <laughs> You're very deep and spiritual. Listen, no matter how deep or spiritual you are, you are going one day. <laughs> and I definitely don't want your spouse to come knocking on, on, on my door. I said, Daddy, yeah, this man did not leave a will. This man did not get insurance. If that's the case, we we'll buy the cheapest pine box available. How much is it? $19.99? No, seriously, on a very serious note, don't play with that. Don't tell me how deep you are, how spiritual you are, how much you trust God, you have faith. Listen, it is appointed once for men to die. If you don't have one, when you leave this place this afternoon, go call your insurance agent and get life insurance. Male or female? Don't you realize that? I have some, some testimonies on that, but I won't get there. But this, the point I'm making is, you don't have, you don't, to have a will means you have something to give. It means you have property you want to transfer to your next of kin or to other people that you want to be a be, be, uh, benefactor to. So the Bible is telling us, now when someone leaves a will, which is what, exactly what Jesus did, so the fact that Jesus left a will to immediately let you understand there are some things coming to you. If you are part of the family. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Yes. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. Jesus' will could not have been, was not, in effect, while he lived. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. And like I said, I cannot finish this morning. We're going to have to pick it up on Wednesday and maybe next Sunday and thereafter. This is the reason why the Old Testament prayer is different from the New Covenant prayer. Yeah. Under the Old Covenant, they had no will to work for. There was no will. There was nothing to be willed. Why? It was not born yet. And then when it was born and living among them, he had not died. So they had to pray in a very different way. Now, when someone leaves the will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. Give me verse 17 again. I, I, I hope you don't mind me repeating this over and over. I just want it to sink in. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. Look at what it says, next sentence. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. So the Old Testament believers cannot pray New Covenant prayer. Why? Because Jesus had not died. They couldn't. 
And now under the new covenant, you and I cannot pray the Old Testament way because the will is in effect. Huge. The will is in effect. Just like any family where there's a will and a person has transited, the executor calls all the people. All those who are mentioned and listed in the will. They come into a room and they announce on that day when they come together, whatever came to each person that's been named in the will. You, you get a, uh, the 2015 bicycle. Just go. <laughs> you, uh, uh, we give you the grass to cut. You just cut grass. Cut, cut my grass. Now, we have some very wicked people that you know where I came from. <laughs> Those guys were wicked. When they say they're going to do will for those people in those days, you'll be shaking and quaking because you don't know what's coming to you. They write some terrible things, Patrice. They write some terrible things on the wheel. They said, This man, this son, you wasted my money when you were in college. And so now, you know, I, I'm, I'm transited. Please give me 19 latches of the cane. In the Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So when they say will, it's time start to announce will, everybody's quaking. We are shaking. You don't know what's coming your way. They may say, give this one a pot of rice. Let's go. <laughs> but not so with Jesus. The will is open and it's transparent. Everyone who is named can see exactly what's in the will. It does not need to be manipulated. It does not need to be changed because it's been sealed in the power of his blood. But this will is the critical difference in how we pray now and how we used to pray. Now let's go back to the words of Jesus himself in Luke 22 verse 20. Luke 22 verse 20. So you see clearly that the will could not be put in effect while the person lived. And that's why the prayer under the old is different in the prayer now in the new. Luke twenty-two twenty. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Whoo, my God. An agreement confirmed by what? With my blood. Which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So Jesus is confirming what we know now. That the will, the new covenant, was actually confirmed by his death or by his blood. Now, I'm bringing this out because I want to establish very clearly, because once, once we get into the practicalities of this, some of us, uh, and Jesus said it well. He said it well. He said, no one, having drunk the old, yeah. the old wine. He said, no one, having drunk the old wine, when you give them the new, ah, they reject the new. They say, ah, the old is better. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me say this. For many of us, our familiarity is our greatest enemy. Yes, sir. The things we have been familiar with, we've been taught those things, we have learned those things, we have embraced those things with limited light, and we've held onto those things 
And we're saying, mm, doctor, I hear you, I hear you, but I'm not letting go of this old stuff. Uh, no, no, oh, no, come on now. Hey, 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 leave me alone. Leave me alone. Jesus said, no one. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a very profound statement. He said, no one, having drunk of the old wine, immediately when you give him the new, yeah. he rejects the new. He rejects the new. I pray that that's, that will not be our portion in Jesus' name. That will be so tender in our hearts. We'll be so open in our understanding that we're willing to receive and embrace whatever new things God is teaching us. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you, religion dies hard. Religion. It dies fighting hard. That's why we, why we have people still praying with candles. They cannot believe in healing until they drink some water. On and on and on, because what? Religion dies hard. So you must understand that. Now, let me get to try to wrap this up for today, just for today. Jesus said something that is very key. In John chapter 8, verse 37 through 44. Give it to me in the New King James, please. John chapter 8. Thank you. Now, before I read the scripture, let me talk to you about Jerry. Now, this is, this is real Jerry now. Jerry Epstein. Has anybody heard that name? Okay, Pastor Charles. Who else? Francis. Jerry Epstein. Is it Jeffrey? Yeah. Ah, thank you for the correction. Jeffrey Epstein. Has anybody heard that name before? Yeah. Ah, clap for yourselves. <laughs> correction taken, amen. Yeah, my old one, I drank new wine now, so I, I'm, I'm straight. <laughs> so I'm straight on that. Jeffrey Epstein. We've heard of him. American financier was convicted later of, uh, as a sex offender who died in August of this year. August 10th, to be precise. Now, the man is dead. Is that correct? Yes. But the people that were victimized by him are alive. And they are still in a torment of the thing that happened. The question is, how is that possible the man is dead? Should his death not automatically cancel out the torment and the pain of their victimization? He's dead. But they're still in their pains. Even though he's no longer victimizing them physically per se. What's the connection I'm trying to make here? In the new covenant, you must understand that Satan is being destroyed. Unlike the old covenant. In the old covenant, the destruction of Satan was futuristic. Are you following me? 
Old Testament believers prayed in anticipation for the future when Satan will be defeated. Come on now. But new covenant believers pray with understanding not of the future, but of the past. The past as of the finished work of Christ. It has happened. It has been done. It is finished for this, for this purpose. The Son of Man was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Old Testament folks pray to the future. God deliver us. God deliver us. God deliver us. New Testament believers, based upon the foundation and understanding of who Jesus is and the reason for his coming, before that he came and in his flesh fulfilled perfectly all the commandments of the law. And then as a result of that, gave up the ghost. No, 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 no. He did not die. He gave it up. And because he gave it up, he can pick it back up again. So now, when you pray, you're not praying about a future thing. No, no. It is now past tense. That's why he said, it is finished. If you don't understand that, you will have a misplaced identity. One of these days, I'm going to set Pastor, Baker, Pastor Ibk loose to preach to you what he preached at, at the rehab center. I'm not joking. This guy was on fire. He was not a human being. It's the truth. I sat down there, tired, fatigued. I said, Ibk is on you. If they will hear God today, it will be through you. I'm your father. I'm resting. I'm not joking. I have never heard a more powerful message on identity in 15 minutes. True story. So this point I'm making, you've got to understand this. You cannot keep on speaking, praying, as if this is our to come in the future. It has already happened. So the point now, and I need to wrap it up now, and then we're going to break it down in the future. But let me just give you the, 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 the poignant, real anchor to all of this. So those guys that were victimized by Jeffrey, am I correct now? It's not Jerry. It's Jeffrey Epstein. They are still lamenting in what happened to them even though the man is no longer there. And so for most of us believers today, Satan has been destroyed. But the residue of his work and effect is still working in many of our members because we are broken human beings. And in our brokenness, we have not learned how to mend the brokenness. We have not learned it. Look at what Jesus said. And this is it. On the pace, give me signals. His K 
kicking and going off. Pastor, you need to shut up. It's time, time over, time over. God will deliver prayer in Jesus' name. <laughs> and when prayer is delivered, the Philadelphia Eagles will start winning again. That's when you know it's delivered. <laughs> but, but Jesus said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. But you seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. Jump to verse 44. Verse 44, because of time. Watch this. Verse 44. 44. Thank you. He made the most poignant statement about identity that I've ever found in the scripture. Because when we normally teach identity, we talk about my righteousness in Christ, my adoption in Christ, how much God loves me, and those things are true. They're true. But look at what Jesus said. He said to those Jews, you want to kill me. What is killing? It's an action. It's a behavior. When you murder somebody, it's a behavior. It's an action, right? Now he's telling us why. Why do you want to kill me? You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. Ah, I'm going somewhere with this. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Ah, ah. For he's a liar and the father of it. Woo! You want to define Satan? He's a murderer and the father of lies. Now, but this is the key. Jesus said that those guys wanted to kill him because they are like their father. So their identity determined their behavior. Their identity, yes. being the son or the child of Satan, was driving their desires to want to kill, their desire to tell lies. What's the point I'm making? You and I are no longer of this pedigree. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 makes it clear. And I still remember that IBK because IBK used that to preach. He said, he came on his own, and his own received not. Yes. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Yes. So once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you change identity. Yes. Yes. Now this is the point, and I'm closing here. Pay, I'm closing, I really mean it. <laughs> this is the point I'm making. The identity you bear determines your desires. Or, shall I say, the identity you embrace, understand, and believe in drives your desires. So if you're a child of God and your desires does not match God's values, you're carrying the wrong ID. You believe the lie. 
And on Wednesday, we're going to address the issue of believing lies. Are you hearing me? Yes. Let me just, I can't give it all in one day. So let me just leave it there for today. Now, if you're here, and you know that you're under a wrong ID, you're under a wrong ID, you've bought into something that's a lie that's deceived you, and therefore now your ID is mixed. One day you're a child of God, the next day you're not. You're struggling with who you are. We need to go back to the cross. We need to go back to the basic. If that's you, I just want to pray for, with you. Is anybody here? I'm not sure who I am. I've bought into a lie. Anybody? Any taker? Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that one person. Thank you. Thank you. Will one of you guys please stand up, please. Thank you. Come on, come on, come on. Don't, don't. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I appreciate that honesty. I appreciate that honesty. This way it starts. 